Older Tours with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Welcome to the latest episode of the Robots Podcast. My name is Jana, and today's episode is focused on vision-based quadrators, which are autonomous aerial vehicles that can navigate by themselves. Professor David Skaramutza and his lab in the Department of Informatics at ETH Zurich are on a mission to develop autonomous machines that can navigate by using only onboard cameras, rather than depending on external GPS or motion capture systems. Our interview Audro caught up with Professor Skaramutza to speak about some of his team's latest research, including the development of vision-based quadratures. Hi, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is uh, Davide Skaramutza and uh, I am assistant professor at the University of Zurich, where I'm leading the robotics and perception group. My group is about uh, three years old now, and um, before that I actually worked at the EDH and the University of Pennsylvania. In fact, I got my PhD at ETH Zurich with the professor Roland Siegbert. And then I stayed there for another three years as a postdoc, where I led uh, a European project as, uh, called S-Fly, which was the first project to be able to demonstrate autonomous navigation of vision-controlled drones without GPS. And then I moved to the University of Pennsylvania, where I worked with the professors Costas Danlidis and Vijay Kumar. And then in 2012, I got my uh, position as a senior professor at the University of Zurich. Now, your research, what is the goal? What are you working towards? And then what's yeah. the motivation of doing so? So I'm interested in developing autonomous machines, both flying and ground, that use mainly onboard sensors for, for navigation, for perception. But I'm particularly interested in vision because I think vision is the most powerful sensor for us humans, uh, insects in general, and in fact, most of the... Uh, 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 brain cortex is dedicated to, to processing the visual images so uh, I'm very interested in exploiting image information for uh, navigation uh, interpretation, uh, reasoning uh, path planning and so on I see now so for can you talk a bit about the drone research platform yes. that you're using with these vision systems Yeah. so in the last three years in fact uh, actually since uh, 2009, so it's more than two years. So uh, since I started leading this European project, basically all my research has been uh, shaped around uh, drones and vision-controlled drones. So what we do is that we put uh, a camera in general on, uh, on our drones, and uh, we only use a camera. What are your drones? They're okay. quadrocopters? Yes, we use uh, quadrotors. I also worked with the hexacopters before, but currently now we are focusing on quadrotors. And our quadrotors are based on, um, we assemble our quadrotors from off-the-shelf components. Actually, we are very happy uh, with, the, uh, air, uh, with the air drone, but we only use the frame, the motors and the, 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 the motor controllers from the air drone. And then we, we actually remove all the rest of, of the electronics and we replace it with the PX4 autopilot. Uh, and then we added also an Android board. So actually we run all our control perception, path planning algorithms fully on board on the Android. 
and then um, we we compute basically the roll pitch and yaw and thrust and we send it to the to the to the px4 autopilot which we rewrote from scratch and the on the px4 basically we compute the the body uh, the, we actually run the control the body rate controller that then uh, output the 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 torques and forces to the motors, mm-hmm. and this is all done entirely on board. The it's quadro. all done entirely on board. On uh, on the Odroid, we have basically a quad co- quad core computer, and all the sensing, computation, and planning is running uh, uh, only on two cores of the of the of the uh, four cores available. In fact, and the on- Odroid is basically an ARM Cortex A9, and it's the same plat- uh, processor that you find in the Samsung Galaxy A series. Mm-hmm. Now, so. What are some applications of the quadrotor drones eventually? Well, you can uh, use uh, uh, currently uh, all rotor, small rotorcrafts for uh, search and rescue, law enforcement, uh, for uh, remote inspection, agriculture, um, even uh, package delivery. But currently, in my group, we are interested in remote inspection of, uh, for example, nuclear facilities uh, like CERN or uh, Fukushima or reactor buildings. And uh, also, we are interested in remote inspection of the bridges. Uh, we are also interested in uh, search and rescue applications, especially after an earthquake, for example. And all those applications, basically, where uh, GPS is not uh, available. Because this allows us to basically push uh, research on computer vision applied to, to vision control drones. Now, so going to drones that are not using computer vision for their nat- navigation exclusively, what other modes? So, in a, what other modes of dire- um, flying drones do we have? So, if you don't want to let your drone to fly autonomously, the only option you have is to have a, a good, experienced pilot. And usually uh, pilots use uh, either a line of sight or goggles, so with video stream, wireless video streaming. The problem is that, of course, um, it's very difficult to control a drone uh, already under line of sight, when especially it's so far away. But even uh, with goggles, it's more difficult. Uh, because basically with a first-person view, in general, you don't get a full omnidirectional view of the, of the environment, so it's very difficult to, to know a priori where are the obstacles. And then, of course, after a certain range, the communication drops, so there is nothing you can do. So when this happens, you have to have uh, actually the drone to be able to continue, to continue the exploration autonomously. Now, how do you um, localize a drone autonom- uh, without... Uh, um, GPS. The, the only way is to rely, of course, on onboard sensors and so on uh, SLAM technology, which stands for Simultaneous Localization and Mapping. So you build a local map of the environment that then you match with a global map, which we supposed to be available from hand sketches or from an architect. Uh, and then um, you basically uh, let the robot use these algo- um, algorithms in order to, reco- to retrieve their position in this global map. And uh, of course, you can use different sensors to do a SLAM, like uh, lasers, and lasers have been, has been very successful, and actually um, it was also used in the 2005 and 2007 DARPA Grand Challenges. And, uh, but in the last 10 years, there has been a boom of a visual SLAM using only one camera, in fact. And uh, the reason why it has been... Uh, only has exploded only 10 years ago has been uh, due to the fact that basically computer technology has evolved has progressed, progressed a lot and uh, that allowed basically to run a very sophisticated algorithms on small computers like uh, for example smartphone devices okay
Now, so what are some problems using vision on quadrotors? So, um, in fact, if you compare the performances of uh, vision-controlled drones uh, with the drones actually remotely controlled, you will notice that, uh, of course, vision-controlled drones, they are still uh, limited to controlled environments, uh, which means uh, controlled illumination, also controlled texture, because in the end, a vision-controlled robot needs texture in order to work, in order to, to perceive the environment. If there is no texture, it would basically crash into the wall. And um, so... Uh, so one problem is that definitely we are still restricted to controlled environment. Another problem is that uh, um, uh, vision algorithms uh, are still uh, too slow. I mean, we have an average latency, generally speaking, of uh, 50 to 200 milliseconds. Is that because of the sensors or the processing? It's, both, it's due to both, actually. So the processing on average takes about uh, 50 to 200 milliseconds to process a frame, depending on the type of algorithms that you're running. So our uh, semi-direct visual odometer algorithms takes only 10 milliseconds on, on an old droid, but many visual slam or algorithms like PITAM, they take much longer, like 30 to 50 milliseconds. But then there is also the time that you need to wait until the next frame arrives. And, uh, of course, this is in the order of 20 to 30 milliseconds if you're using a 30 hertz or a 50 hertz camera. So we are also looking at different types of sensors, vision sensors, like event cameras that have measured event cameras. They are basically um, new cameras that have been invented uh, five years ago, and they have an update rate of one million hertz, one megahertz. In fact, they... They have uh, smart pixels that uh, basically do not uh, acquire the image all at the same time, but asynchronously in a similar way as uh, the, human, the human eye works. In fact, it's a biospire sensor. And basically, each pixel monitors the scene, and when a single pixel detects a change of intensity, it spikes a signal, an event. And um, so the output is not a frame, but it's a sequence of asynchronous events at microsecond time resolution. So in principle, it will allow one day to do visual slam at 1 megahertz. And we already got some preliminary results, which we presented at ICRA and IROS last year, and we are going to present at RSS in two weeks. And so that moves into semi-direct visual odometry, correct? Well, semi-direct visual odometry is still using uh, the, uh, standard sensors, in fact. But... It, it is kind of similar in the process, is it not? I mean, uh, or photometric minimization is oh, kind of like okay. that. So um, what we are doing with the event-based sensor uh, is different from what the semi-direct visual odometer is doing. So what we try to do with the semi-direct visual odometer is to improve the performance of standard visual odometry, visual slam algorithms. And uh, instead, what we are doing with the event camera is uh, still, uh, uh, is, well, it's a different sensor, so it's separate, separate stuff. So regarding the semi-direct visual automated algorithm, so this, which uh, I will uh, call from now on uh, simply as SVO, basically, um, before, I uh, before I explain SVO, I have to tell you how standard visual automated algorithm algorithms work. So you have two types of visual dominant algorithms. There are feature-based or uh, direct methods. So feature-based approaches, they usually extract uh, salient points between, uh, across images, and then they match them, 
So notable features. So notable like features, like, like corners. Corner and edge or An edge, for example. Exactly. Okay. Uh, primitive features, like corners or edges, exactly. Not lines, edges, small edges. So that we call edge rates, for example. Or for example. Yes. Then the next step in, uh, in the feature-based visual geometry algorithms is uh, to match corresponding corners or edge rates across images and then to apply basically uh, emotion estimation algorithm, and which is basically the core of visual geometry. Usually, um, these uh, motion estimation algorithms work by minimizing the reprojection error between the observed notable points and the reprojected 3D points, 3D points that are available from the previous frame, for example. Instead, so um, what we uh, the other approach, alternative approach to feature-based approaches, is to use uh, uh, direct methods or dense methods that, instead of extracting salient mark points from the images, they work uh, with all the pixels. Uh, the advantage of that, of course, is that uh, since you use all the pixels, you have an increased accuracy and therefore robustness. Um, now, when you use all the pixels, in this case, you cannot minimize the projection error, but you minimize the photometric error, which is basically the per pixel uh, difference, uh, the, 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 uh, the difference between the intensity values of corresponding pixels. And um, now. Uh, there are pros and cons with, it, uh, which are with, with the each approach. So feature-based methods, they have the advantage that uh, they cope very well with, uh, with large motions between frames, but they are prone to... to uh, they have a lot of, a lot of outliers, and also uh, they are quite uh, costly, uh, computationally expensive, because basically uh, you need to extract features, match them, and then apply... Uh, robust estimation methods like Ransack in order to remove the outliers. Um, instead, direct methods have the advantage that basically because they use all the pixels, basically you, um, they are more precise and more robust. But unfortunately, uh, since they are using the uh, photometric error minimization, they only work well if the motion baseline is very, very small between the two frames. So you have to make sure that the, um, there is not much distance between uh, consecutive frames. So what we invented is called SVO, semi-direct visual odometry, which, uh, as the name says, leverages the advantages of uh, feature-based approaches and, photometric, and the direct uh, approaches. How do we do that? Well, basically, we use uh, direct methods for uh, small frame-to-frame -frame motion estimation, and then uh, we use uh, instead a feature-based methods for frame-to-keyframe uh, um, frame motion estimation. So basically, what we do is that uh, when um, uh, we are moving, we skip frames uh, that are too close uh, near, too close by, and then we, uh, when a certain frame is significantly uh, far from a previous keyframe, then we, uh, we consider new frame as a keyframe, and then we run a bundle adjustment with respect to the previous keyframes. In keyframe, just quickly? So a keyframe basically is a standard frame that is significantly far from the previous keyframe, which means basically a frame is a keyframe if, for example, the distance from the previous keyframes is compared to the, uh, sorry, if the distance between the current frame and the previous keyframe is larger than uh, 10% of the average distance from the scene. Okay. Now, what are some projects that you've done using the semi-direct visual odometry? Yeah. Research-wise, what we have done, um, so we have, um, so as uh, you understood so far, SVO is only working on uh, sparse image points. 
um, now the next step uh, what that we did was to actually densify the maps. And we call these methods uh, uh, dense methods. So basically we use every single pixel in the image. And um, basically what we try to do is uh, to track every single pixel in the image and to have for every single pixel an estimate of the depth and its uncertainty. So we actually run a probabilistic filter for each for each pixel. Now the problem is that when you track every single pixel, you can't run all this in a CPU, but you have to use a parallel programming. Therefore, you can only run this on a GPU at the moment, of course. Um, and we are able to run uh, this algorithm, which we call REMODE, that stands for Regularized Monocular Dense Reconstruction in real time. Um, it runs at 50 Hz on the GPU of an i7 processor, so on a laptop. But we, can, we are now able to even run this on a CPU on a significantly small image of 80 by 80, 80 by 60 pixels so on the CPU. And we actually made an app, which I didn't have the opportunity to present in my talk, but you can download it from the iTunes store. It's called uh, 3D Around. It uses our remote and SVO technologies to basically allow people to do dense reconstruction of food at the moment. Interesting. Yeah. So... Uh, what are some of the research projects that have come out of this? Yes, so we are also collaborating uh, with the uh, industry. So we are collaborating with uh, SenseFly, which is now a part of the Parallel Group. Uh, they build uh, drones. Uh, initially, they, they became popular by making uh, the fixed-wing airplanes. Uh, the most popular is uh, the EB. And um, now they just made a new uh, platform called uh, Exom, which is a quadrotor platform, which... Uh, on the market is the first quadrotor that features five vision sensors. So five cameras looking at five different directions with small overlaps. And um, actually the front-looking camera is on a tilt, um, um, has a tilt mechanism that allows it to basically orient it in any, direc in any uh, direction. And each of these five vision sensors is coupled with a sonar sensor for, for distant measurements. And basically, we are using, porting our technology to this platform, which potentially one day will be on the market with our technology. Using your technology on the Exxon, what kind of things will that allow you to do? Well, for example, um, you could uh, um, tell the... So, what the main um, advantage of using our technology on the Exxon Quadrotor is uh, for inspection operations. So, it will basically allow anyone with no or very little experience to basically fly a quadrotor and perform simple inspection operations like lock to a wall, lock, lock to this surface, or get me a closer view of this, of this um, object. So, the quadrotor will automatically, autonomously approach an object in order to get a, best, a, a, a better image of the, of, the, of the object, or, for example, follow a line, or, and so on. And then there are other things that I, I'm not allowed to tell because, of course, I'm uh, covered by the confidentiality. And then you were saying about CERN? And then regarding CERN, um, there we, we have a project where... Uh, so the CERN is the popular particle accelerator in Geneva. and uh, Switzerland. In Switzerland, right where basically they want to replicate the conditions of the Big Bang. And there, uh, every time they do experiments, they produce a lot of particles and therefore also a lot of radioactivity. And uh, you can't send technicians down there, well, during the experiment, but also for a little bit after the experiment. And many times, as we know from the history of CERN, they had uh, I mean, small accidents there where they had to very quickly find what the, the, uh, the causes uh, of these incidents. And so um, the problem is that uh, they currently send the technicians there, human technicians, technicians that spend 
lot of their annual radiation uh, um, doses. Yeah, what whatever. They can do. Yeah, and um, the idea would be to uh, replace uh, technicians one day by drones. And uh, currently, we are interested in, uh, in automatic autom- automatic inspection of the LHC tunnels uh, as well as the secondary beam areas of the CERN, which is basically the the building where all the pipes. Uh, uh, get out of the main uh, tunnel and are used for to run uh, different experiments. Can you tell me a bit about your experience working with different companies and how that benefits you and them? Yes, so um, indeed uh, I have uh, some collaboration with companies as you see and uh, I'm also very interested in helping companies because I mean in the end uh, as a researcher we do research to serve the community which ultimately serves the humanity. So and, uh, of, of course, many researchers complain that, uh, you know, we have to do research and we should bother about the applications, which is the, the duty of the company. But I think that uh, you need uh, applications in order to understand what are the right research questions to ask. And actually, um, what I like a lot about working in collaboration with the company is that uh, they make you think about robustness, okay, achieving robustness through demonstrations uh, and and uh, I mean, this robustness, I mean, it means uh, basically that the system works. Ideally, you want it to work 100%. Okay, well, in research, you are happy, of course, uh, if it works already 10% of the times, you can already make a paper. In fact, prove a concept. But in, in industry, no, you have to work on robustness. Now, robustness actually opens interesting research questions, like uh, it makes you think about what are the causes, or what, what causes the system to fail in these conditions, or light, what can we do to avoid, for example, uh, the system to fail with light? So you may want mm, to control the environment using lights on board or changing the camera parameters and so on. Um, of course, it helps a lot of companies because uh, usually um, uh, companies, of course, struggle to find uh, talents and uh, people that come out of uh, a mass bachelor or master's degree usually don't have uh, um, always, you know, the expertise and uh, the know-how that you will get with a PhD. So, of course, they benefit a lot from a collaboration because you can basically have PhD students or postdocs working part-time in a project which is funded by a company and therefore I mean you would help also the company and also probably it help us, helps also researchers to find a job after they are done with their, uh, their degree definitely and so beginning to wrap up what advice do you have for uh, those beginning their research career so my advice uh, is always to um, read a lot of papers, but uh, uh, simultaneously also work on hardware, okay? Code a lot. So I think it's very important to, to do both. Not just work in theory, but also to understand what you're working with. So usually I always ask my PhD students to do some hands-on experience on drones, uh, control, computer vision, and at the same time start reading papers. A lot of papers. I mean, to be honest, I mean, 6,000 papers are submitted in robotics a year. 2,000 get accepted. We have many, many, many papers. Of course, you shouldn't read all of the papers, but there are many, many papers. And I think almost everything has been already published. (laughs) Okay, so you have to read a lot in order to not reinvent the wheel. Okay, but reading is very important. But hands-on experience. Thank you. You're welcome. 
And that's it from us for today. As always, check out robohub.org for more information about the vision-based quadrotours and for the latest news and developments in robotics. The podcast will be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Quadrotours with robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.